Welcome to the Assembly of Yahweh Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you're here. For more information, you can visit hallelujah.org or download the AOI app on Apple or Google Play. I want to first off thanks to the Assembly for allowing me to speak this morning. Um, and if you don't mind, we'll maybe go, go in front of the Father for a prayer. Father, just thank you for this day. Just thank you for the rain. Just thank you for all your many blessings. Thank you for the music we heard and the worship service that we, we were able to participate in and enjoy. Um, and just ask that the words today be yours and not mine. And everything we give you the glory. In your sinner, she was named. Amen. <clears throat> well, um, my name is Kyle Wilkes. And if, uh, for all of you guys who don't know me, I'm married to Julie Wilkes. And we have four kids. And, um, you know, I was actually thinking of starting this sermon off with a little corona joke, but then I figured you probably wouldn't get it, so I passed on that one. Uh, but, so I decided to do an Apple joke. You know, if you see an Apple store getting robbed, does that make you an eyewitness? Uh, I think it does. <clears throat> so my kids were talking to me, because they've heard many of my of my jokes, and they were telling me, the dad, your jokes, they're a little corny. And uh, of course, I took that message they were giving me, I took it in, and I thought about it. I was like, no, I don't, they're pretty good. So I continued with them. Um, but after they told me that, I did start thinking a little bit. And I do have some faults, and it may be shocking to you guys, but I found another fault that I have uh, in myself, and I want to talk to you guys about it a little bit today. It's called, Kyle Loves to Shoot the Messenger. And I think we all have that a little bit. We have this something inside us that makes us want to come to shoot the messenger. And I want to talk a little bit about that today and think about that. Um, and also... If you're going to give a message, you know, a great message to always give is don't shoot the messenger. So I want to start you guys off with a story that got me thinking about this because it's uh, something that happened to me um, and maybe amplifies or highlights this, this problem that I find myself doing a lot of times. So it was probably back in the 2Ks, back in the 2000s. Uh, we were building a house in Brock, Texas, and I mean, we were excited about this house. Uh, I was working in the masonry business was, um, at that time, and every evening, and a lot of times at lunch, uh, I mean, I'd run over there and we'd check on the progress, because when you're building a house, like, you know, nobody else can really see a lot of things going on, but you can. Like, you can see, oh man, they painted that. They hung a little lot. They put a little piece of trim here. So that was the phase we were in. We were actually in one of the best phases of building a house. Uh, well, actually, the best phase of building a house is when they start framing it. But uh, actually, I take that back. The best part of the house is when they start bricking it. That's the best phase of the house. Uh, but we were in that phase where the electrician was there, and he was hanging all the little fixtures, right? That your wife would have spent a lot of her time picking out each and every one. So <clears throat> I'm at work, and I get this phone call. And it's the electrician. And he's never called me at work. And like, he doesn't call me ever. Like, you know. So I'm like, what's up? And he's like, 
there's a fire. The house is on fire. And he starts just, I'm like, what? And, you know, panic sets in. Because knowing myself, I probably skimped a little bit on builder's risk insurance. So I'm like, well, can you put it out? And he's like, it's too big. That's what he tells me. It's too big. And, you know, so I'm about 15 miles away at our office. So I'm like, call, call the, why are you calling me? Call 911. So I get in my truck, and I start heading that way. And I call 911. Uh, and I'm calling them, and they're like, okay, we'll let the fire department know, blah, blah. So I get there. And, you know, well, as I'm driving, you just see this, this cloud of smoke coming up, you know, and, oh, and it was the windiest day that I personally have ever seen in Texas. Now, it may have been amplified by my anxiety that made me feel like it was so windy, but it was a very, very windy day. And a windy day in the summertime in Texas can be a disaster when a fire gets going. And all I can see is smoke. Oh, and I'm just like, the house is a total loss. That's what I'm thinking to myself. How will I ever explain this? Uh, so as I'm going along, I pull up, and to my amazement, and to my amazement, the house isn't on fire at all. There's a, there's a grass fire in our front yard. Um, now, the grass fire is spreading rather rapidly through our little subdivision that we were building in. So my house, for whatever reason was not actually in any danger of getting burned down because the fire, the way the wind was blowing, it was blowing the opposite direction. But there were some neighbor houses that were around and they were in drastic danger of getting burned down. So anyway, but you know, to the local volunteer fire department of uh, the little Brock uh, department there, they showed up and they went to fighting it. You know, and they, were, they were protecting structures. That's what they do. In, in Texas in fires. I mean, some of you guys might know that, how the fire, fire stuff works. Uh, but they were, you know, they, and they did a great job. And that little, that fire went, they couldn't, couldn't really stop it, but it kind of just snaked through the neighborhood. And um, not a house was damaged. There was a few front yards that took on some damage. Uh, and I know those people probably weren't happy with me because the fire actually, come find out, it actually started from where I had built a little, I was burning brush like a few days before, and I guess there was some embers down there at the bottom. And, the, and the, the guy who, he lived there, and he was also the developer, he saw me driving around kind of surveying the damage uh, of these other people's yards. And he says, and he comes and pulls up, he's like, hey. He's like, if they ask, if the, if the chief, the fire chief comes by and says something, don't say nothing. I'm like, you don't know how it started? Yeah, you think it started right there? He goes, because it's kind of obvious why he's telling me. It's kind of obvious where it started, but don't tell him you're burning anything. <laughs> Just tell him, I don't know. So, so I was kind of nervous about this guy asking me some questions because I could see he was driving around the neighborhood. This was after the fire had been put out. And I saw him pull right up to my front yard and he, and he stops and he rolls down the window. I can see, like through his windshield, I can see him. He's just looking at that thing. I know he's thinking you know, negative thoughts about me, most likely. And he's looking at that fire, and then he just take, takes off driving again. So I quickly pull in and park in the garage, like any good citizen would do. Um, but there was no, no, no problems. The neighbors, they got over it, and I never got in any problems. They didn't get a fine from the fire department for burning in a no-burn zone or whatever. Um, but it did show me something about my own human nature. And the thing it showed me was, 
that electrician who called. Up until that day, I really liked that electrician. I thought he was a pretty smart guy. But ever since that day, I just, I kind of like looked at him in a different light. It was like all he was doing was bringing me a message and giving me, I mean, he had nothing to do with this fire. He was just saying, hey, there's a big fire. Now, he could have been, he, could have, he probably could have went into more detail, but he didn't. But he, but he gave me this message, and I kind of shot the messenger on the deal because he was never quite the same. And years later, I look back at it, I'm like, you know, honestly, the electrician didn't do bad. Now, of course, if it was a bricklayer, he wouldn't have called it all. He just would have walked over and put the fire out. But he was an electrician, so he did his best. Um, but that, but it, it kind of inspired me to start thinking about our own human element of, of how we are when somebody brings us bad news. So if you would turn with me to Amos chapter 7. All right, I'm going to set the, I'll set the um, story up a little bit. Actually, it's Amos chapter 7, verse 10. Um, so the, the people of Israel, they were, they were, you know, things were going fine. They, uh, they were semi at peace. They weren't having any wars, really. Um, everything was going good. There was this, but uh, Amos was kind of going through the land, and he was preaching about, hey, I'm prophesying, Yahweh's going to exile you guys, get your act together and all this. And there was a pagan prophet, Amaziah, who was, who was not having it. He wasn't real thrilled about all the things that Amos was saying. And we pick up the story kind of where the, where the two come together and the conflict really kind of begins. So uh, let's, we'll start with verse 10. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent word to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is unable to endure all his words. For thus Amos says, Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. So Amaziah, right here, he's kind of letting the, he's letting the king know, hey, Amos is saying all these things, and you know, Sounds like fake news to me, but I'm just wanting you to know he's talking bad. He's talking real bad. Uh, verse 12, Then Amaziah said to Amos, Go, you sir, flee away to the land of Judah, and there eat bread, and there do your prophesying. You know, you can kind of feel the sarcasm as he's saying that. Yeah, go, go back to Judah and do the prophesying. We don't want to hear none of this. But no longer prophesy at Bethel, for it is a sanctuary of the king and a royal residence. So he's basically saying, hey, all this bad news, all this reality check stuff, this, this Bethel is off limits. This is where, this is, a pre, this is a presidential palace here. I mean, it almost sounds like a university. Uh, I don't want to get political. Uh, then Amos replied to Amaziah, I'm not a prophet, nor am I a son of a prophet, for I am a herdsman and a grower of sycamore figs. But Yahweh took me from, the following, from following the flock and Yahweh said to me, Go prophesy to my people, Israel. Now hear the word of Yahweh. You were saying, You shall not prophesy against Israel, nor shall you speak against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says Yahweh, Your wife will become a harlot in the city. Your sons and your daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be parceled up by a measuring, by measuring line. 
and you yourself will die upon unclean soil. Moreover, Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. So, Amos says, hey, the message I'm bringing you, this is not my message. I was fine doing my thing back in Judah, following the flocks, raising figs, but this is Yahweh's message. So when you say, it's my message, it's not, and this is clarifying that for him, I'm telling you something you need to hear. And if you look at it from Amaziah's point of view, you know, they had a good thing going. Things were semi-good in the land. And then, here's Amos. You know, he walks into Israel uh, that has kind of become complacent. Uh, they've kind of become comfortable. And he starts rocking the boat a little bit with this message of exile. <clears throat> so when people, when people bring us a message, and we don't necessarily want to hear it, um, sometimes, you know, you're kind of left with just a few options, right? We're left kind of with three options. You have one option, and that's to, and that, well, option, you have three options. Option one, option two are the ones that, that I personally prefer, and I think a lot of people prefer. It's you, you, one, you just change the messenger, like, ah, oh, yeah, we don't want to listen to you. The other one is you change the message. The third one, and it's third because that's the least likely that people will do, you heed the warning, you listen to what they're saying, and you adjust your life in accordance to this message, that this thing that you're hearing, you weigh the evidence and you say, you know what? I might, I might be in error here. I need to think about this. But that's, of course, very hard to do. Um, I find this in myself from time to time. Uh, there's this, we work in this city, and in this particular city, um, we have a fairly good relationship with the staff at the city and, the, and the, you know, people that work and, and make the city go. Uh, but there's one guy in particular who will go nameless. Uh, he, he only calls with kind of bad news. Like, he's, he's kind of a bad news guy. Like, or he's always like a problem bringer. He always is happy to bring a problem to your attention. Now, in reality... About half the time, he's bringing, me, he's bringing a problem or an issue that, hey, it's legitimate and, he should, and that we should listen. But sometimes, he's just kind of letting you know that, hey, it rained again and your streets are really muddy and you guys need to clean that up. Well, yeah, I know. It's literally stopped raining 10 minutes ago. We're, we're on it. We know. We know the routine. Uh, but he, he, doesn't, he never calls and really brings you good news. And it's, and it's kind of well known around our office. That that's, that's his, uh, his M.O. Because he doesn't just do it to me, you know. He's equal opportunity here. Uh, so he does it to some other guys. So like, you know, we'll get these texts because when you, you call, you kind of look down. And you probably have these people in your, that you're like, oh, man. He's going to be telling me something I want to hear. And so you'll text, text the other guy, hey, you talk to this guy? He's like, they're like, no. Why? Is he calling you? Yeah, he's calling me. Okay. So yeah, they're like, like uh, you, you want to call him? No, you call him. <laughs> Great. So... But that is, that is kind of my tendency. And like I said, he doesn't really bring us like terrible news. It's just always like these issues. And I'm not talking about the person who, who just, you know, who has, who's bringing you legitimate stuff. But sometimes we just don't want to hear the messenger and we blame the messenger. He's, a lot of times he's given us information that is useful and that is good for us to hear. But 
it's, it's not what we want to hear. So if you, Second uh, Timothy, verse 4 and 3, it says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own liking. So we obviously don't want to be like this. You know, we don't want to be the guys with itching ears. Um, and I would say that there's, as we talk about there, there's a lot of different angles on talking about the messenger. You know, from time to time, you probably find yourself as maybe you're the messenger. Um, but I want to focus kind of solely on not shooting the messenger in, in, this, in this talk. Um, and not finding the person that's just saying what you want and putting them in front. Because, like I said, it's an easy thing to do. <clears throat> so, like the story of Amos, he wasn't conspiring against the king. Um, that was Yahweh pronouncing his judgment through Amos, through that message. You know, when we hear those things, we always have to remember to weigh the evidence. I remember, uh, as I grew up in this assembly, there's a lot of times looking back, uh, that people came to me and they said, hey, Kyle, you should probably not do that and you should maybe do this. And sometimes I listened to them uh, and sometimes I didn't listen to them because I, for whatever reason, you know, decided that, hey, if I, I'll just change the messenger and I'll listen to somebody else. But as you get older, you start to see that that's, that's a huge blessing that you had, whether at the time you may or may not have realized it, that these people took the effort and the time to come tell you, hey, you should maybe look into this, or you should think about this, or you should work on this. Um, and now, as I'm older, I look back and I'm like, wow, that was a fun thing. It's not a fun thing for people to do. And it, and it usually shows that they actually do have a heart for you when they do this, because they're taking their own time. You're, you, there's a high likelihood that you know, you're, gonna, you're not going to accept it, so then there will be like this barrier between you and them, when in reality, if anything, it should tear it down. But I wasn't always, I wasn't always so wise in that manner. Um, <clears throat> so have you ever felt like you, that you really don't like someone because uh, from time to time they bring you bad news? Um, well, you are not alone. So Harvard did a study... And we'll, you know, I'm not saying all Harvard studies are good, but this one seems to have a little merit to it. Um, so Harvard did a study, and the, the doctor who did the study was psychologist Leslie John. And her team at Harvard University did these tests. And I'm going to kind of walk through the test, and you kind of think about if it resonates with you, maybe if it doesn't resonate with you. Um, but one experiment that they did was they took two people and they had a raffle. And they brought people in and they set them down and they said, okay, every time we pull your name out of this raffle, you get two bucks. Fantastic. Um, so they would reach in, grab a name. The one person would grab it, grab the ticket, hand it to the other person. The other person would read it. And then at the end, so they did this for a while. And then at the end, they asked them who was more likable, the person reading or the person handing. And they all, and they, I don't know if they all said it, but the majority of them said the person handing seemed more likable. 
Because the person reading was giving them bad news periodically, right? Oh, you didn't win. So, kids, just think about that at the next uh, women's retreat raffle. You want to be the one handing the ticket. You don't want to be the one catching the ire, like, oh, letting everybody know they lost. So, they also did another study, same, kind of the same concept, but they did it in a hospital where they brought in two people who had nothing to do, obviously, with the results of the bad diagnosis. But one piece person would tell them the bad diagnosis. The other person would just sit there and make the follow-up appointment or whatever. Same thing. Whoever was giving them the bad news was perceived to be less likable. Right? <clears throat> Now, this is one that I'm sure a lot of you guys can relate to. They did the same study. They went to the airport, and they told passengers, they said, hey, your plane, uh, our plane is supposed to leave whatever time, is being, we're giving up our gate to somebody else, and somebody else came into our gate, so we're all delayed. So, the same thing. The person who gave them the news had nothing to do with it, was seemed very unlikable compared to the person who was coming in and saying, okay, we're going to reschedule you guys and try to help. But it's, it's that human perception that of the bearer of bad news is kind of just perceived in a less than favorable light, right? So we, as being the ones that sometimes receive this news, we have to be, we have to be mature enough to understand, okay, well, you're just passing this on. You're not the cause or the reason. So anyway, at the end, the study found out that what they, th- well, what they think causes this is we all assume and hope and think that the world is just and fair and things should make sense and go a certain way. When somebody throws a curveball at us and fairness and justice and what we perceive is how it should have worked out doesn't happen. Our human nature is to get upset with the person bringing the news. So, is trying to combat this effect worthwhile cause? I believe so. Especially when the messenger is saying something that we don't really want to hear. We don't want to shoot the messenger because a lot of times what we're really doing is we're impeding ourselves in our own growth. Just like all those people who talked to little Kyle and gave him good advice that he most of the time didn't listen to, those people were not doing that for their own enjoyment. They were doing that to help me. And if I would have listened to more of those, I probably would have been a lot farther in life, potentially. Potentially not. <clears throat> but it can be a difficult ability to master. Yahweh has given us each, Yahweh gives each of us uh, the spirit of discernment. Now, um, I think as you get older and hopefully wiser, that spirit of discernment uh, becomes larger and hopefully you become a little more perceptive. But because we all have that ability, it's, it's pretty easy to see at the heart of the person that comes and talks to you and when they're telling you stuff. We also have to be careful that when we're receiving a message of bad news, that we're hearing what they're actually saying, that we're, that we're putting the emotions of maybe the news or the situation a little bit to the side and listening to their words. I, for one, have not always 
been very good at this. Um, case in point, when uh, I was setting up a meeting, and uh, that was probably my first mistake. I was setting up the meeting. Uh, I was setting up this meeting, and in my head, when I talked to this guy, that we were going to meet on a certain day at a certain time, and um, to this day, I'm not really sure how I got it all screwed up. But anyway, so I, but I was, I knew I was going to meet there. So we called into this conference room and we set this up because you know other people are using this conference room, so we time it out. I show up and get there. I'm actually early and I'm just waiting. And our conference room has a big glass door, so you know other people in the office are walking by. They're looking in there and they see me. I'm just, you know. Sitting there, just waiting for the old meeting to start, waiting for these, these gentlemen to show up. And, uh, you know, it starts getting close. And usually these guys are pretty on time. So I, I shoot them a text because I know, hey, they may have, be having a problem finding this place. And I shoot them a time, and I'm like, hey, when you get there, we're kind of under this sign by this bus. Give him the details. And he's like, okay, cool, man. But he didn't really follow up. with like, yeah, we're close or anything. So I'm like, well, well, you know, no big deal. So I go a little further. And then, you know, more time passes. And these things are like five, ten minutes late. So I, you know, hit him again. Like, hey, you guys uh, have any problems? Nope. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, he's a, he's a short texter, which is, has its value. But uh, So anyway, and then, you know, it's 15, 20 minutes. And I'm like, man, I got to call these guys. Like, so I call them. I'm like, hey, uh, uh, y'all, y'all on your way? Y'all having problems finding it? Like, what's going on? He's like, oh, we're not on our way. Like, I thought the meeting was tomorrow. Like, hmm. Must not the way I remember. You know, and come find out, of course, the meeting was tomorrow. So we don't want to be, we don't want to be selective when hearing. We don't want to be like our kids sometimes who have that selective hearing syndrome. We want to hear the whole story when somebody's bringing us a message, or he'll be sitting in this thing. The other part of that is, so just, you know, he's walking back and forth in this office and he's watching. You know, he's he's Kind of figuring out something's up. He walks in and be like, hey, but you were having a meeting in here. Like, yeah, you know what, dude? These guys are going to be late. I told them, let's just cancel it and move it to tomorrow. <laughs> uh, but we got to hear the whole message. We got to hear the whole message. If you would turn to Jeremiah 26, verse 1. Now, we talked a little bit earlier, I want you to pay attention to this story, because we talked a little bit earlier about the kind of your three options that you have, and just walk through, as we walk through the scripture, just kind of keep that in mind and see, you know, kind of how this was, uh, how this played out. <clears throat> so, start with uh, verse 1 in chapter 26 of Jeremiah. In the beginning of the reign of of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from Yahweh, saying, Thus says Yahweh, Stand in the court of Yahweh's house and speak to all the cities of Judah who have come to worship in Yahweh's house. All the words that I have commanded you to speak to them. Do not omit a word. I'm going to stop there for half a second. I find it kind of interesting that Yahweh specifically tells Jeremiah 
do not omit a word. It was almost like in future things, in past things, maybe Jeremiah went like rogue on him a few times and left a few things out. He's like, don't omit anything. Verse 3, perhaps they will listen and everyone will turn from his evil way. Then I may repent of the calamity which I'm planning to do to them because of the evil of their deeds. And you will say to them, thus says Yahweh, if you will not listen to me to walk in my law, which I have set before you, to listen to the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I have been sending to you again and again, but you have not listened, then I will make this house like Shiloh, and this city I will make a curse to all the nations of the earth. And the priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of Yahweh. And when Jeremiah finished speaking all that Yahweh had commanded him to speak to all the people, the priests and the prophets and all the people seized him, saying, You must die. Why have you prophesied in the name of Yahweh, saying, This house will be like Shiloh, and this city will be desolate without inhabitants? And all the people gathered about Jeremiah in the house of Yahweh. And when the princes of Judah heard these things, they came up from the king's house to the house of Yahweh and sat in the entrance of the new gate of the new gate of Yahweh's house. Then the priest and the prophets spoke to the officials and to all the people, saying, A death sentence for this man, for he has prophesied against this city, as you have heard in your hearing. Then Jeremiah spoke to all the officials and to all the people, saying, Yahweh sent me to prophesy against this house and against this city, all the words that you have heard. Now, therefore, amend your ways and your deeds, and obey the voice of Yahweh your Elohim. And Yahweh will change his mind about the misfortune which he has pronounced against you. But as for me, behold, I am in your hands. Do with me as it is good and right in your sight. Only know for certain that if you put me to death, you will bring innocent blood on yourselves and on the city and on its inhabitants. For truly, Yahweh has sent me to you to speak all these words in your hearing. Then the officials and all the people said to the priest and to the prophets, No death sentence for this man, for he has spoken to us in the name of Yahweh, our Elohim. Okay, so notice what happened. They started out and they're like, Hey, we don't like what this guy's saying. Death to this guy, right? Who's with us? Death to this guy. And they're like, yeah, let's get him. But as he kind of walks through and they have a little bit more time to reflect on what he's saying, they do what a lot of people don't do. By the end of it, what does it say? It says, no death sentence for this man. No, he's good. Maybe we need to repent, right? Human nature, I think you know, is, is more like what we read at the first half. I think wisdom and sound judgment and using the Bible for discernment is that bottom half. When they started thinking, hmm, hey, we really want to do this. Because he's telling us pretty bluntly, this is Yahweh's words that I'm speaking. This is not my own, right? And you can almost pick this up in the book of Jonah as well. If you look at Jonah, he was in complete shock that Nineveh, you know, repented. Like he was to the point of, he almost didn't like it. Maybe he didn't like it. You know, he's your own judge. Uh, but we see that. Just because you don't like the message of doom and gloom doesn't mean that the message isn't real or isn't correct. Proverbs 15, 31 and 33 says, Whoever heeds life-giving correction will be at home among the wise. 
Those who disregard discipline despise themselves, but the one who heeds correction gains understanding. Wisdom, instruction, is to fear Yahweh, and humility comes before honor. So notice those, that first line. It says, whoever heeds life-giving correction will be at home among the wise. Um, you know, I think we've got to be careful when we hear when our, of, our, of our initial reaction. When we hear something, somebody's saying something that may be against us or maybe not what we want to hear, we have to really kind of pause for a second and think about it. Um, turn to Matthew chapter 21. Now this scripture, uh, Matthew chapter 21 and verse 33. This scripture has a deeper meaning, but we're going to take it at pretty much face, face value uh, and look at it from a particular angle of, of, as the tenant. Uh, verse 33. Listen to another parable, Yahshua speaking. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it. And built a tower and rented it out to the vine growers and went on a journey. And when the harvest time approached, and when the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his produce. And the vine growers took his slaves and beat one and killed another and stoned a third. Again, he sent another group of slaves larger than the first, and they did the same thing to them. But afterwards, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize, in his, seize his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? And they said to him, He will bring those wretches to a wretched end. <clears throat> and he'll put somebody else in charge and they'll pay the rent. So, we don't want to be the wicked tenants, right? We don't want to be the wicked tenants of this temple. When Yahweh sends us messengers and sends us wisdom and we read things in the Bible and we feel that prick in our heart that says, we need to consider this, we need to weigh the evidence, that's a good thing. And that's a message that we need to pay attention to. <clears throat> If you would turn to Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Now I'm kind of wrapping up. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. If we are to be successful in entering the narrow gate, we must listen to the messengers along the path that give us the guidance so that we are careful not to reject the good things of life, not to reject the right things in life. Paul says in uh, 2 Timothy 1 and 12, it says, For this reason I also suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed, 
For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith of love which are in Yeshua Messiah. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. We have been entrusted with a treasure of salvation. But when people tell us things and you get a message when the Bible's talking to you as you read through it, we have to act upon those concepts and ideas. When I was a kid, when I was a kid, we, uh, Dad would take us out, um, in, out in the woods in the back, and we would make these trails. And we'd tie these ribbons to all these little trails that we would make. And we'd go through cutting them. We had the, we had the blue trail and the red trail. And then we had the, I think the red trail ultimately became the, the pipeline trail because it took you to the pipeline. And we named it the pipeline trail because, well, it took you to the pipeline. So, but on these trails that we had, these ribbons would last like about a year or so that these ribbons would kind of hang on the trees. I mean, we would run as kids. You could get through the woods quick if you had a trail. I mean, it was, it was fantastic. And I liken those ribbons to kind of like like a little messenger telling you, hey, get back on this way or it's this way, kind of showing you the path, right? At some point, though, the weather would kind of make all those little ribbons fall away. But you, at that point, you've, been, you've kind of been running this path. You had it kind of beat out. You knew where it was. You almost like knew it, knew it by heart at that point. And in a lot of ways, that's kind of this, this narrow path to salvation that we're trying to get, that we're on, right? Now, it was my experience on going through this trail that it was, it's weird that when you're going through the thickest, thorniest, briary stuff, the trails are really easy to see. It's almost like the hard times, the trail becomes clear. But when you're going through the easy times, sometimes the trail gets, it's hard to see because there's all these gaps, right? You see all these gaps and you're kind of like, well, I could go. There's so many options in the easy times. But in the hard times, there's not a lot of options, right? So it's, it's weird how that works. And if you see, we read earlier, it talks about when the children of Israel, it seems like every time they had a good time, they would somehow, you know, go astray. You know, our human nature is a little bit like that. But there's a great thing because... On the trail of salvation, there is off, there's off-ramps. There's off-ramps. And you can kind of go down an off-ramp. But there's a lot of on-ramps. And you can always get back on. Our Father created those off-ramps and on-ramps. Well, He didn't create the off-ramps. He created the on-ramps. We created the off-ramps. So if you're on, if you find yourself going down a trail, and you look up and you can't find the little ribbons that you're used to seeing, you're like, hey, Something you're right. It's okay to just turn around and get on the on-ramp.